Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté, joined by Max Blumenthal, editor of The Gray Zone, author of several books, including his latest, The Management of Savagery. We are talking now about Syria, a lot of developments, Max, just in the past week. You've just written a piece at The Gray Zone looking at uh, one irony of all this, which is that you know, for so many years, uh, we were told about these moderate rebels that the U.S. was arming as part of its proxy war in Syria. Your piece points out that uh, a number of these militias uh, linked to the Free Syrian Army, the same ones that, we've ch- uh, that we were supposed to cheer for before and that the U.S. armed, are now being used by Turkey to commit atrocities against the Kurds. I, I, I did write that, and, um, you know, I want to just first comment on the kind of uh, the reaction to this whole unfolding which is that uh, may have shocked a lot of people and Trump may have gone about it in an abrupt way. I don't exactly know what took place or what Trump's thinking was, but it was very clear that the countries involved in the Astana process, which is the real peace process surrounding Syria, Turkey, Iran, and Russia were prepared for this moment. And I believe that the YPG leadership, which is was rebranded by a U.S. general um, as the Syrian Democratic Forces, were prepared for it as well. Um, basically, it was inevitable, especially after the Turkish invasion of Afrin, another area with a large Kurdish population where Kurds were threatened with ethnic cleansing in northern Syria. Uh, this took place last year, that the YPG, who are constantly referred to as the Kurds, um, although Kurds live in many countries in that region, uh, who are actually Syrian Kurds, were going to have to strike a deal with the Syrian government that would guarantee their protection against Turkey in exchange for their autonomy. And that played out in very rapid fashion. And the meltdown that we're seeing across the board. I mean, we saw Pat Robertson meltdown about it. And then you have all of like these like anarchists who fetishize Rojava freaking out about it. Um, that reaction really speaks to this sense that U.S. troops were going to have to remain in northern Syria perpetually in order to preserve, to serve as this kind of tripwire where if Turkey invaded the tripwire uh, would go off and more U.S. troops would rush to protect the Kurds in that region. And the U.S. troops can't stay there forever. It's just inevitable. Um, look at what happened uh, when Obama tried to pivot to Asia and troops were withdrawn from Iraq and Afghanistan uh, because that's where the real uh, imperial focus is. So it happened. It took place. Uh, And it led to a real mask lifting moment, I would say, uh, where Turkey used as its ground force, as it did in Afrin, repurposed Syrian rebels who were once known in Washington as moderate rebels who were once once toasted as freedom fighters. um, And they were known as the Turkish National Army. So what I did in this piece is just um, bring to light a report by a Turkish think tank called SETA, S-E-T-A, which has an office in Washington and has offices in, around the world, but is a, basically a pro-government Turkish think tank, uh, outlining the composition 
of the Turkish so-called national army, which is really a mercenary army. And it noted that 21 of the 28 militias involved and in, in united under the banner of the Turkish flag and the Turkish national army to serve as Turkish ground forces in this invasion um, and to strike the Kurds with an iron fist in their words. 21 of them had been previously supported by the Pentagon and the CIA. I think 18 supported by the CIA, three by the Pentagon. 14 of those factions received tow missiles made by Raytheon, which are heavy weapons, anti-tank missiles. And they were basically the Free Syrian Army, which had been supported by the CIA. Not only that, but Salim Idris, who is the acting, the sort of so-called defense minister of the Syrian provisional government, which is as real as Juan Guaido's government in Venezuela. This is the figure who was initially appointed to lead the Free Syrian Army and who welcomed John McCain in 2013 when he made his notorious surprise visit to Syria, hoping to stir up a US military intervention. And so the mask has lifted, why? Because these uh, Turkish mercenaries carried out heinous executions of Kurdish captives. Uh, they murdered a, they dragged a Kurdish female legislator from her car and executed her on the roadside. They filmed themselves executing two Kurdish captives who were not even fighters. And this was denounced not only by you know, who's who in official Washington, but by Hillary Clinton, who presided over the arm and equip program. In fact, in 2012, Hillary Clinton went to Istanbul at a conference presided over and convened by the Turkish president Recep Erdogan, who everyone's calling this bad guy and calling for sanctions on, and called for aid to those very same groups, which were then rebels. So back then, you know, when they were fighting our enemy in Damascus, the designated enemy, they were freedom fighters. Now that they're fighting another US proxy, they are described as pirates and bandits by a US official and as crazy and unreliable by another US official to the Washington Post. The hypocrisy is staggering. And so far I've seen no one uh, besides maybe Tulsi Gabbard with any mainstream platform point out this, the fact that this is blowback. You've been vocal on this issue for a long time and you've been pointing out that these people who we were arming, who the US was arming, uh, were not uh, brave freedom fighters uh, you know, seeking to liberate all of Syria and bring peace and freedom, but in fact, uh, what you call Wahhabi Contras. What is it like? What is it like now for you seeing that mask, as you say, come off? Well, I mean, it, it's not like uh, people are writing me to tell me uh, that they're sorry and that I'm vindicated, but uh, that's uh, you know, it to be expected. And once I got my head together and decided I'm gonna try to take a, a closer look at the Syrian catastrophe, it became really clear to me that this was one of the greatest scandals of our times, that through Operation Timber Sycamore, uh, one out of every $13 in the CIA's black budget was being spent on a multi-billion dollar arm and equip program for, as you said, Wahhabi Contras, people who were taking over areas of Syria and imposing a harsh religious theocracy and seeking to transform a previously stable, secular, pluralistic country into what it, what Libya now is, uh, a country ruled over by hundreds, 
of fanatical warlords. It would have been a catastrophe for the region. And so I decided I was going to take on some of the psyops being foisted on the American public, you know, it's starting with the white helmets. And since I mentioned the white helmets, I'm pretty sure they're involved in this invasion of northern Syria. I know for a fact that they were involved in the invasion of Afrin, also in northern Syria, where many of the same atrocities took place. And they were actually denounced by local Kurds and even by um, some Turkish and Syrian groups that had traditionally been pro-opposition. The White Helmets have basically become mercenaries of the Turkish government. And in many ways, they always were Turkish proxies. That's where they were founded by a British military intelligence officer, James Le Mercurier. So, you know, you're right. As as the price for doing that, I was smeared. Um, I remember like four years ago after um, my piece on the White Helmets came out, um, this guy named Thanis um, Kanabanis, who is a journalist and uh, think tanker predicted that my career would be over within three years and that we'd be reading some media blog about how I moved on to a, uh, you know, to to wait tables or something. Um, Well, that obviously didn't happen. No one remembers who he is, although he is the husband of the longtime New York Times correspondent who was covering Syria and Barnard, who is a total propagandist for the opposition and for the, basically for the State Department. Um, but, you know, that shows you the level of vitriol that my journalism inspired. And now here we are four years later, and everything that I've been saying, everything that you've been saying, Aaron, is really revealed as the just an undeniable truth. This, is, this, this should be a vindication, because what we saw take place uh, this week in northern Syria at the hands of these groups, which are, you know, referred to as Arab militias, was what they've been doing for years across Syria, beheading people, taking captives, targeting Syrians based on their sect and their religion and killing them because they are not uh, loyal to the Wahhabi strain of Sunni Islam, uh, just carrying out sundry human rights, sundry atrocities across Syria. And nobody paid attention to it in Washington because they were being supported with billions of dollars. So this is a mask lifting moment. I don't know how much there else, how much else there is to say, except that, you know, I think there should be some display of embarrassment from the people who've been smearing us as Nazi propagandists for daring to talk about Uh, the real intentions of these groups that were leading what was supposed to be a Syrian revolution. I mean, there would have been no Syrian so-called uprising for the past few years without those 21 groups that are now part of the Syrian so-called national army. There's a lot to say about how cynical this was and how much it destroyed this country and how much the country is now being tormented as it tries to rebuild something Uh, you've talked about in the aftermath of your recent visit to Damascus. But I want to read you a quote uh, just to illustrate for people that um, the truth was always out there. Uh, People like Max Blumenthal and Rania Kalik and Ben Norton and and others were saying it. It was also sometimes allowed to appear in the mainstream media. And this is a quote that uh, from an article that really changed my perspective and I really finally got what was going on. It was from an article in the New York Times Magazine by veteran Middle East correspondent named Robert F. Worth. It's called Aleppo after the fall. 
It appeared in the spring of 2017. And he's talking about a city, a city in Syria called Latakia. And he says, in Latakia, some people told me their city might have been destroyed if not for the Russians. In the summer of 2015, the rebels were closing in on the Latakia city limits and mortars were falling downtown. If the rebels had captured the area where Alawites were, are the majority, a result would almost certainly have been sectarian mass murder. Genocide. Well, his words are sectarian mass murder, which is strong enough. Many people in the region, he goes on, would have blamed the U.S., which armed some of the rebels operating in the area. In this sense, the Russian intervention was a lucky thing for the Obama administration, too. Unquote. So that's Robert F. Worth writing in the New York Times. Um, but this perspective, Max, was just not the dominant one that we were presented. And in fact, when you even look today at how the Obama administration is criticized among liberals and even some leftists, the criticism that you'll find, and this is a very popular view, is that the Obama administration's folly in Syria was that it did not intervene. It did not enforce Obama's so-called red lines. It did not impose no-fly zones. All of this overlooking the actual uh, history, some of which you laid out, about the U.S. meanwhile arming and supporting uh, these people who, in the words of Robert F. Worth, were poised to commit sectarian mass murder if they got their way. Well, and, and, and Worth's pers what, what Worth reported there is what I found being in Syria, which is that anyone who was a member of a religious minority in Syria felt that they had been saved from imminent genocide and destruction by the intervention of Russia, Iran, and Hezbollah. And, you know, we talked about it in a previous uh, interview, going to this historic uh, Christian and Muslim town of Malula, which had been in Syria, you know, continuously inhabited since the fifth century, since the Byzantine period, and how the Syrian army and Hezbollah ousted Al-Qaeda from that town after Al-Qaeda had basically taken a dozen nuns captive and held, was holding the entire town hostage. Um, and this is a group that believes that Christians, Alawites, Shiites are essentially the Antichrist. Uh, not the Antichrist, but, you know, that, that, that they are kafir, that they should be killed. And so that, that's just the perspective that you get across Syria. And it's the perspective I also got from many Sunni people who suffered under the in areas that were controlled by these groups. And, it, as, and you're right, it's not the perspective that we got in Washington, the perspective that, or in the US, the perspective that we got was dictated to us by one of the most expensive and sophisticated uh, information warfare operations ever conducted. And a large part of it was actually run out of Turkey through the White Helmets headquarters in Gaziantep and I think Istanbul. Um, and, you know, the, the White Helmets were supported by the U.S. government and the U.K. They were not just rescuers. They were an influence operation. So, you know, we were lied to again. And the lie exploded in northern Syria this week uh, through the atrocities committed by the same forces that had been attempting to carry out genocide across Syria, who had actually, when they took over Idlib in 2015, took, drove all of the Christians out slaughtered all Druze people they found uh, or demanded that they convert and then therefore dig up the graves of their relatives and rebury them according to uh, strict Sunni Islamic ritual. This was the moment 
when Russia decided to intervene because the U.S. had just shipped in uh, hundreds of new tow missile systems, which were allowing Jabhat al-Nusra and Jaysh al-Fatah, which was this coalition of ex Isla Islamist extremist uh, armed forces, to start marching from Idlib towards the coast where Latakia and the Alawite heartland is. And it's the Alawites that they really hate the most. I mean, beyond Christians and Shiites, uh, they really hate Alawites because they identify them with the Syrian government, but also because they see them as completely non-Muslim, as just complete rejectors. I don't know what would have happened if Russia hadn't intervened, but it stopped that onslaught and it actually led to a gradual de-escalation of the war. It also led to the uh, retaking of the city of Palmyra, where some of the most precious um, archaeological treasures exist in the world, where the chief archaeologist was lynched by ISIS. It had been taken over by ISIS, and the uh, Roman-era theater um, was being used as a site for, for, for public executions. It was thanks to Russian air power and the Syrian army that Palmyra was retaken. And when I think it was Mark Toner, the State Department spokesman, was asked by a reporter in 2015, this is a scene I recount in my book, The Management of Savagery, does the United States support the retaking of Palmyra uh, by Russia and the Syrian government? He refused to answer the question. He could not answer the question. Um, so that says it all to me. It says it all. The U.S. was not happy, actually, about the defeat of ISIS and al-Qaeda in and the, the rollback that began in 2015. It just wasn't supposed to happen that way. As John Kerry even told a group of Syrian opposition activists, the U.S. was sitting back as it watched Daesh, ISIS, advance on Damascus. The implication being that the U.S. was prepared to see a possible ISIS takeover of Syria uh, if that meant Assad being overthrown, which is just a, a, a stunning uh, omission, uh, uh, admission by uh, Kerry. So, uh, Max, as we wrap... And I would just, I would just you know, mention that uh, the White Helmets were nominated for a Nobel Prize again by a figure who's known as the Canadian Alan Dershowitz, Erwin Kotler, who's a major pro-Israel lawyer. Um, and they are nominated as they apparently participate in another Turkish onslaught in northern Syria. Um, and after they uh, joined the ethnic cleansing of Afrin, and after years of them working as the ancillary civil society wing or, or um, civil rescue wing and information wing, of Al-Qaeda and 31 flavors of uh, Salafi jihadi militias. And that, that should be a scandal, but you, know, you, you still can't talk about that. Max Blumenthal, editor of The Gray Zone, author of The Management of Savagery. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Aaron.